If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now, go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome to the Radio Times podcast. I'm Jane Garvey, and I'm joined by the TV expert, Rihanna Dillon. What have we got this week, Rihanna? We've got quite a lot. Conversations with friends, which I know has been hotly anticipated by a lot of people. The new Sally Rooney series. So many people rate Sally Rooney, don't they? And this is BBC Three. It is. We have Floodlights, The Time Traveller's Wife, and Joe Wicks, Facing My Childhood. So loads to look forward to. Um, And not one, but two book-to-TV adaptations this week. Before we go on, we should not forget this. The BFI and Radio Times Television Festival is at the South Bank in London. It's later this month. We're going to be there recording this podcast on Sunday the 22nd, and it would be great to have you as part of the audience. Uh, If you want to find out more about that, head to bfi.org.uk forward slash TV fest. There's so much to look forward to at this event, actually. Um, There'll be a world premiere of David Attenborough's new dinosaur epic, prehistoric planet. There is a panel with Ruth Wilson from the BBC's adaptation of His Dark Materials and Dame Mary Berry is going to be inducted into the Radio Times Hall of Fame. And I'm going to be hosting a panel for Conversations with Friends. Oh, yes. So um, come along to that. Well, I am coming. Oh, good. Yeah. Are you actually? Um, I, I'm going to come to that, yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. And I'm hosting a panel for The Responder. <gasps> oh, fab. You loved that. I did love it. And I know so many other people did too. So get involved with that. And we'd love to see you down there over that weekend, beginning the 20th of May. OK, um, let's get stuck into the reviews then. Now, here, unfortunately, here comes a bit of negativity because I decided quite early on this probably wasn't for me. Oh, no. I know. I do rush to judgment and I shouldn't. It's The Time Traveller's Wife. It's on Sky Atlantic. Starts Monday the 16th of May at nine o'clock. And this is going to be weekly episodes, interestingly. Uh, No common old box sets for The Time Traveller's Wife. (laughs) It's an adaptation of the Audrey Niffenegger novel. And uh, here is a clip. It's happened again. The bedsheets will go slack. Or the shower will keep running. And you realize he's gone. It's not a superpower. It's what's wrong with me. I can't keep hold of the current moment. I just slide off. I fall back in time. 
Stephen Moffat is involved here. Now, that's a good thing usually, isn't because it? Because time travel, because, yeah. you know, famously worked on Doctor Who and now this. So, as you say, based on this book, which has also already been turned into a film starring Rachel McAdams and Eric Banner. Which is going to be one of my questions. Why do this as well? Is I guess, there a need? I mean, you could say that about any adaptation of an adaptation, you know. Okay, yeah, it's no, not me. Not really, but it's it's... I think maybe, gosh, I haven't looked it up, maybe about 10 years since that film came out. So maybe that's why it's a new generation. Um, And also maybe they can explore it in a little bit more depth now. It's a TV series rather than a film. And yeah, so it's a man who is born with the ability to fall through time, conveniently for us, ending up naked in his destination. (laughs) Yeah, and also we meet him uh, at the beginning of The Time Traveller's Wife when he's in quite good shape. Yes. So he's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which, rather than meeting him at the age of, say, 76... I see, yes. Um, you see what I'm getting at here? <laughs> yes. Um, and he's always drawn to the same woman, Claire, appearing at different stages of both their lives. So at times he's been her imaginary friend when she was six or girl. seven. Yeah. Or drafts game partner. And at others, she's his lover or his wife. And there are some occasional moments uh, in the first episode where you feel a bit creepy. I knew you were going to say Well, this. I'm sorry. Just because <laughs> it's it, inevitable. It is. And they do sort of joke about yeah, it as well, don't they? They do. Yeah. They have to. Because, yeah, you're right. When you have this man in his 30s. To, but it is very Doctor Who, actually. So if you think about Amy Pond and Matt Smith's Doctor, they meet in very similar circumstances. They even look quite... I mean, Amy Pond is a redhead and Claire is a redhead, although she does not like being called by just the colour of her hair, which is absolutely fair enough. It is fair enough. And yes, Claire is played by Rose Leslie. Yes, from Game of Thrones and The Good Fight. Yeah, so she's got got a lot of of, uh, stuff in her locker, I guess, that she brings to the... And who is the time traveller? Theo James. Who Who do I... How do I know him? So you might have seen him in the Inbetweeners movie. Uh, He was also in Divergent. Funnily enough, I wasn't a big fan of the Inbetweeners. No, my nephew liked it. I know that much. (laughs) He's got great taste. Uh, The Divergent series, again, young adult. Someone pulled me up the other day for saying YA and not explaining what that meant. Apologies. YA is young adult. Um, And Sanditon, which was that slightly odd series um, that Jane Austen purportedly started before her death and Andrew Davies so kindly finished for her. Yes. We we will never know how you feel about that, Jane. (laughs) Um, So it's... It's super soppy. Is that why you didn't love it so much? I I was a bit boggled by the time-travelling element. So there are scenes in which Claire knows more about the time-traveller's life than he does. Yes. And you you actually, you have to pay attention Mm. to pick up all the nuances and the quirky things about this. And I I guess I'm simply never going to be invested enough. I'm really sorry to everybody involved. Yeah. They'll be heartbroken. (laughs) Um, And I also, if I'm honest, I find the whole concept of time travelling quite disturbing. And there's a part of me that wonders whether actually it will be possible. Really? Perhaps it even is possible. I don't think it is. Do you think you've lived before? No. Oh, really? <laughs> Do you? Are you? Have you been reincarnated into this body? Or? I wouldn't have chosen this one. <laughs> 
Um, so much of it has to. The trouble that's the trouble with time travel. I think is that so much of it is explaining and exposition. Yeah, I guess that's also a factor for me. I do love so much drama, but yes. this I'm afraid. I know I've come across as someone who's constantly carping <laughs> because there's so much exposition, as you quite rightly say, required here. Yes, I check out emotionally. I think. I think sometimes it can really work, especially when they illustrate it with examples, like actually act it out rather than just telling us. But sometimes I just feel like I've been listening to Henry monologue for ages. It's just like being at a party. With a boring man. With a boring man. (laughs) That's what I felt in some places. And now I'm going to tell you more about me. (laughs) I didn't ask, and actually, who are you? I think the second episode, which looks at his relationship with his mother, is incredibly moving and also very, very dark. So his mum is played by Kate Siegel, who you'll recognise from The Haunting of Hill House and Midnight Mass. She is impossibly beautiful. She is one of the most beautiful women you will ever see and on screen. what age is he when he encounters his mum? I mean, obviously, we're the, all quite young when the, we first encounter the, our mum. <laughs> eight. In this, okay. In the second episode, we see him with his mum at the age of eight. Oh, right. multiple. As, but there are multiple versions of him. And that's the thing. So he can actually crop up um, like 20, 30 times in the same scene because he. there are no rules in this about meeting yourself or avoiding yourself, which is what a lot of time travel tries to just think about Harry Potter. They have to avoid seeing themselves at all costs. So the scene where there's about 20, 30 Henrys, but that's done in quite a sweet way where all of his different ages are peppered on the screen rather than 20 of them all just, I mean, they do pop up, but it's it's more subtle than that. I was quite happy watching watching it while I was doing the ironing. You know, it's one of those sorts of programmes. And Rihanna was telling me only uh, just before we started recording that she's never actually ironed before. So she just dropped that in as though this is a <laughs> weekly or even twice weekly event. It's a first, in fact. It's because I'm going on holiday and I all of my summer clothes are very crumpled and my dad taught me how to iron a few weeks ago. So, <sighs> Right, thanks, Dad. <laughs> The Time Traveller's Wife will surely find a huge and enthusiastic audience on Sky Atlantic. Uh, We'll see it from Monday the 16th of May at nine o'clock. And be warned, this is a weekly episode drop, not a box set binge. Why do they do that? Just with some shows and not with others. I just don't get it. Building anticipation. I don't know, maybe because it is so convoluted that they feel like it needs a week for people to just absorb each time. You need to process the the preceding episode before you can begin to delve into more. Okay, um, now this is much more serious, actually. It is a BBC, it's a film, actually, I guess. It's for BBC Two. It is Floodlights, and you can see it on Tuesday the 17th of May at nine o'clock, and, of course, thereafter on the iPlayer. It is about abuse in professional football, and here's a clip from the trailer. Do you think you're good enough to be one of my boys? I'm the star maker, son. He really, really raised you, baby. (laughs) A boy whose dream was twisted into a 30-year nightmare. Why did you leave City, Barry? I mean, big club, that. Died at Chelsea in 71. Kept coaching until 94. That's loads of boys. A man whose courage changed our national game. Yeah, so this is the devastating story of footballer Andy Woodward, who about six years ago publicly revealed that he had been sexually abused by his childhood football coach, Barry Bennell. And it's a dramatised version of his life just before, during and years after the abuse took place. It was 
horrendous. It is horrendous. I have to say, um, I, just in case anybody's concerned, there's nothing you don't, it's all hinted at. So you don't actually see anything too devastatingly terrible, although you're left in no doubt. You see that you that see, it certainly happened. You see a child yeah. and a man in bed together, which you is, do, which I, I wonder whether we ought to make it clear that that is exactly, I'm glad you said it, that is exactly what you see. Yeah. Um, because it's deeply unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is. And I am, I, I think this is probably the beginning of, football really beginning to confront what has happened in professional football Mm -hmm. circles. There may well be more examples. I hate to say it, but you wonder whether Barry Bennell is the only person. Well, you know he's not. Well, exactly. Uh, And you wonder how many other stories will come to light. And because Andy Woodward was so courageous, uh, because that cannot have been easy to come out and say Mm. this had happened to him. Um, Other people then took their cue from him and were able to do the same thing. That meant that Barry Bennell was rightly and thankfully given a very, very lengthy prison term. I thought um, that the acting in this is is consistently, it's brilliant, actually. It is brilliant. Um, I do think it's such a thankless role for an actor to play a paedophile. Yes, and we should say it's Jonas Armstrong. Who you might recognise from Robin Hood. Yeah, I did recognise him. And I just think he's excellent as Barry Bennell, because as you say, I don't even know how an actor would feel when their agent rings up and says yeah and I I don't want to although I have just singled out Jonas Armstrong as being particularly good I think both the actors who play Andy Woodward Mm -hmm. are excellent it's it's Gerard Kearns as the senior Andy Woodward and a young actor called Max Fletcher plays him as a boy you're really involved in this aren't you yeah absolutely I think this because it's a factual drama sometimes that can be a bit cold or at arm's length and this isn't it very much is Andy's story so we do see every like expression of pain on his face yeah Gerald Kearns who I kind of grew up watching in Shameless and he was brilliant then as a kid and it's interesting to see how he's kind of matured and grown into an actor who can give this sort of performance, which is heartbreaking. And there is, there's a real dignity about it yes, as well, though, isn't there? There is. It's seeing how insidious the grooming was, the kind of the patterns of behaviour. That's the thing that's so vile, the way that it's just repeated. And it comes so soon after the Savile dock. That's that I kept thinking back yes. to the Savile, in a sense, groomed a nation yeah. uh, successfully over decades. And Barry Bennell did a real number on any amount of families. Yeah. And you see the way he wormed his way into the That's Woodward it. household. I know. And, you know, he seems so jovial and all he wants to do is make a star of their son. And I felt so sorry for these parents who, it wasn't like they were neglectful in any capacity. The opposite. They loved their son. They yeah. wanted the best for him and were so thrilled for him to have had this opportunity. So much so that he, that Andy feels he can't tell them even as an adult. I think my one criticism is I think I'd have liked to see more about the impact on the footballing world, even though it's still fairly recent. And I guess the ripple effect is still being felt. Yeah. And I know it's Andy's story, but, you know, it didn't sort of end at him talking to the media about the abuse, Andy's story, presumably. And as we said, there are plenty of other people who were implicit in some way in this and not just individuals, but bodies like how I wonder how this impacted them, the steps that they've taken, their reactions, all of that kind of stuff. It would have been really interesting to see a bit more of the aftermath, I think. It's an uncomfortable truth that if your son, and it is sons we're talking about here, because although girls, I love, I love football, I should say, girls do increasingly play it, but 
the way the world works is that your daughter's football prowess is probably not going to change your family's fortunes, but your son's might. Mm. No wonder the Woodward family were won over because they were two decent, striving parents, Mm. but there was no way they were going to turn down the opportunity for their son to earn a fortune, let's face it. I mean, in the end, he he played professional football, but he was never a star of the game. He but suffered actually, from panic attacks. Yeah, and he, I mean, poor guy. Yeah. He never got over what happened to of him. Of course not. And how could you? In a way, though, of course, he's had more impact on the game than many hundreds of other players who earn more from it. But then I don't know if that impact is felt j- j- for this programme. Okay, I didn't feel... Yeah. There was just one title card at the end that told me that and I'd have liked to have seen that a little bit more. Well, I think what does come across is that this is probably one of the toughest environments on earth in which to express any vulnerability. Yes. Um, Because, I mean, as I say, I like football, I watch it, but it is, there's the mindless machismo Mm -hmm. about the whole thing that I just think would make it so hard for any kind of young boy or man to admit that, not to admit, but to discuss that this had happened. Yeah. Just be so difficult. It would. Also, I wanted to ask you, do you watch something like this for entertainment or to learn something? You know, yeah, do you know question. what I mean? Yes. The plain fact is because I do, I'm interested in sport, I would have watched this. Yeah. Um, has who will watch it and why is a good question. I'm not really one I can answer. I hope people involved in kids' sport watch it. And I hope yes. I hope parents watch it. Yeah. And I hope it we all learn a little bit about how the world works from it. I guess it's about recognising signs as much as anything. Oh, absolutely. As well. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I think there is a bit of both. And when I say entertainment, I don't mean as a laugh out loud escapism kind of program but just in terms of a compelling drama well as we speak i have not heard anybody from the world of football talking in much detail about this issue no now um, i'm talking about any number of ex-pros who earn a very good living from commentating on the game analyzing the game bigging it up generally i think maybe it's time to have a a slightly wider conversation yes about this horrible Mm -hmm horrible sort of thing that has been clearly going on probably in plain sight for quite some time and let's hope Andy Woodward's courage has led to real change in the game but I just want to I mean congratulations to everybody involved in this because I think it's a really good piece of work seconded yeah it really is good it's floodlights it's on BBC Two uh, Tuesday the 17th of May at nine o'clock Now, coming up, so many people loved Sally Rooney's Normal People, of course, but is the next Sally adaptation, Conversations with Friends, any good? Uh, You'll have to wait to find out. First, uh, another BBC documentary. This is on BBC One on Monday the 16th at nine o'clock, and it's Joe Wicks, body coach, Facing My Childhood. Okay, we all know who Joe Wicks is. Well, we think we do. Um, What do we find out about him here, Rihanna? Well, yeah, he is the body coach who got so many parents and adults through the first lockdown. But he's now inundated with pleas for help or just for some sort of acknowledgement through his Instagram regarding mental health, much more than physical, actually, which is, I think, which was really surprising for him. And the sheer scale of messages is clearly taking its toll on Joe. I had not realised just what a responsibility this guy has. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was quite daunting, wasn't it? You watch him in this documentary quite late at night, yeah. pacing up and down in his, his beautiful home, admittedly, 
trying to reply to as many people as possible who yes. contacted him. And it really is eye-opening. And he, he really does want to help, but he wants to know who else can help and what help is actually needed for these people who are struggling with their mental health. And so in part, he looks to his own childhood for answers. The one thing I never expected was that so many of the mums and dads who took part with their kids would start contacting me, not about their physical health, but about their mental health. Dear Joe, for many reasons I've struggled with my mental health over the past few years. My son's father has mental health as well as addiction issues. I suffer with very low self-esteem and confidence and I felt really depressed. As a mid-40s woman who has suffered with anxiety and depression, again, the words that keep popping up is just literally anxiety, depression, anxiety, depression, so much of it. You can't process that. You can't, you can't just go, oh, that's another one, thanks. Like, it's every single one of these stories that is a real person. The thing is, I do relate to it. My mum and dad were up and down, up and down all my life. My mum had severe OCD and my dad was in and out of rehab. Like, it was madness. Yeah, you do get a real sense that Joe and his brother, to whom he's really close, mm. his older brother... Nicky. They, they've really helped each other through yeah. what was a pretty traumatic and insecure childhood because they were those kids who'd go home from school and just not know what to expect. Mm-hmm. It did, sure. It really made me think about when I was at school and the kids in my class who from my perspective, were an absolute nightmare and took away attention from the rest of the class or behaved in a way that meant that the rest of us couldn't get on with our work. And you look back and reflect back on those kids as an adult and you realise there would have been so much for them going on at home. They would have had no capacity for how to deal with that emotionally, which is what came out when they were at school and you just yeah it just makes you kind of reassess all of those people you've ever known because you just have no idea what's going on at home no and and yeah it's exactly right actually I think anybody who watches this will have that conversation with themselves those kids what were they because if you are fortunate enough to you know your mum comes to a primary school to collect you and you go home and you have a biscuit and watch some telly you've actually no idea how fortunate you are have you really no and it's that unpredictability that I think Joe brings across really well they just never quite knew what was going to be going on yes because he talks about um, coming into school, never being able to behave, turning up late. So his mother had or has extreme OCD and cleaned the house three, four times a day. Um, and also that OCD came out in an eating disorder as well. Um, and then his father had drug and alcohol issues. Yeah, he did get clean, but then he would he relapse. Would lapse. Yeah. And so he was, as a child, very aware of his father's code of, oh, I'm just going to get some milk. And he knew that that didn't mean milk. And what a terrifying, sad thing for the child. And there is this really moving moment where he talks to his dad because they're all on really good terms now as adults. Um, and he talks to his dad and said, we didn't really know why we weren't enough. We used to wonder why we weren't enough, me and Nikki and mum. And that was a really heartbreaking moment for us and for his dad, I think. Uh, there were times when I felt, oh, is this just... I, I, I appreciated the fact that both his parents appeared Agreed. in this. Uh, yeah. Are there not times when you just feel, you know, this is none of my business? There were times when I wondered if his family got support after appearing on this. I'm sure they will, by the way. Yeah. But I wonder... And you hope so. You really do Because they so. are. they're expected to open decades-old wounds and conversations. Well, going back to our conversation about floodlights, you do wonder, again, why people... I mean, television is getting more and more invasive Mm. and Mm. 
I wonder whether the bar is now set so high that you just, if you're going to sign up to do a programme like this, your mum and dad have got to come along for the ride as yeah. well. And they've got to put themselves out there. And as you say, the, both his parents are quite vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they cannot have expected one of their children to have become an absolute superstar. Yeah. And by, I, I bear him no ill will for that, but it cannot have been what they were expecting to happen. Yes. Do parents think that their children are happier not knowing or being aware of what's going on, however difficult? That's kind of the conversation that this is all about, right? Because there are charities that are saying that's not true. Here's a really good way of explaining things like bipolar and other mental health issues. And that was a really lovely part of the programme. I I thought thought. that was really interesting. And of course, children will... um, They'll, they'll try to support their parent and they'll cover up for their parents. Mm. They won't necessarily say at school what's going on yeah. at home. And also, of course, you only know from your own experience. So you think whatever happens to you is mm-hmm. what happens normal to everybody. Yeah. Um, and I, I really took the programme's point that there are a lot of children who are battling to have uh, something approaching a livable existence with a parent who's trying to deal through no fault of their own with a mental health uh, problem. Mm. And the, the headmaster of Joe Wicks's old school, I thought that was a very telling moment where he says they now have any number of families that he would regard as challenged, mm-hmm. um, so many more than before the lockdowns. Doubled, he said. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting that we're doing floodlights and this programme at yeah. the same time because it is, again, it's about recognising the signs of vulnerable children whatever capacity that whatever form that takes well joe wicks is the cover star of this week's radio times he is incredibly popular and i think it's worth saying that actually that his gen his contribution during lockdown yes. his reassuring presence yeah. he does seem i know he's got his knockers everybody who succeeds mm-hmm. in britain does have um <laughs> but he he can't be underestimated actually i think the guy's a force for good yeah he seems to me to be trying to do the right thing and he's an everyman as well and in the nicest possible way and the fact that we've seen that he has hasn't come from a privileged background and you know he's really worked hard to make the name that he's made for himself yeah no, you can't you can't well, get admire that. that yeah yeah well they should um but of course not everybody does mm. joe wicks richly deserves to be this week's radio times cover star right uh correspondence corner someone has had a go at rihanna <laughs> good let's hear it <laughs> uh if you want to join in podcast at radiotimes.com what does the critical email say rihanna I don't think I should have to read this out. Well, all right, then I will. Doesn't bother me. (laughs) I love the podcast, but I'm aghast, says Charlotte. How can Rihanna be a top TV critic and announce that she's never watched an episode of Downton Abbey? Surely you would just watch one out of interest. Well said, Charlotte. Um, Well, how do you plead? I plead that I can't watch every single programme on the planet. Well, Charlotte's point is that this isn't just any old programme. This is one of the most successful British TV series of all time. She's looking quite guilty. It's actually quite sweet. i tell you why. Because I didn't think that I would enjoy it. And I thought, what's the point in going into something deliberately knowing that I'm going to be rude about it? I hope you're satisfied with that response, Charlotte. If you're not, you can always get back in touch. <laughs> Podcast at radiotimes.com. I it's, tell you what, we watched the film and it didn't make me want to go back to the beginning to watch the series. I, it's quite interesting because the critics were quite snooty about the film, but I, I've noticed that it's not doing it any harm. People of course still, it's people not. People are still very this happily. Is, this has got its audience already. It doesn't sliding need... off to the cinema yeah. to just absorb the whole thing, just immerse themselves. <laughs> in a an aristocratic world, which of 
course, is a totally alien to us, it has to be said. Um, <laughs> this is a bit closer to home. Uh, Conversations with Friends, highly anticipated BBC Three adaptation of the Sally Rooney novel. It starts on BBC Three on Sunday the 15th. It begins with a double episode at 10 o'clock that night. And then you do get this, actually, as a box set on Phew. BBC. There'd be such a clamour if this wasn't made available as a box set, so mercifully it has. Do you want to just, before we have the clip, just set this up for us. What is what is Conversations with Friends about? Well, it's Frances's story, really, who is a spoken word poet who, along with her best friend and ex-girlfriend, Bobby, becomes intimately acquainted with writer Melissa and her husband, actor Nick. So intimately that Frances and Nick begin to have an affair. Sorry I was late. Thanks for coming. I really liked it. Yeah. I don't really know how to be articulate about it beyond that. But I liked it. I think it would have been better if I'd said nothing. I'll craft you an email. It'll be full of compliments and in complete sentences. It won't require us to make eye contact. Right. Francis, uh, played by Alison Oliver, and Nick is played by Joe Alwyn. Joe Alwyn is the partner of well-known pop songstress Taylor Swift, and in every single interview, Joe Alwyn's asked about her, and he never says anything. Of course not. Nothing to do with it. I have to say, I quite admire the two of them for keeping their relationship so much on the... Down note. Yes, considering we heard so much about some of the other relationships, it's quite refreshing oh, you're a about this one. Cynical lady, you are. But yes, that is true. Perhaps <laughs> perhaps they've decided on the back of that not to say a word. Can I just say what I think first of Please all? Please do. So I I love normal people. I, I think there was something about that that was universal. Mm. We've all been at school. We've all had first loves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't all had such fantastic sex with it our first, <laughs> uh, uh, more or less our first attempt. Speak for yourself, Jay. Well, no, I think I'm probably speaking for most people in all honesty. <laughs> No, I'm sure it got backward that quickly. Um, so, but let's put all that to one side. But this struck me as being not so. I mean, it was, it's about quite privileged people, mm. quite a small circle of academic, trendy, arty types in very middle class, pampered Dublin. Mm. And I'm not sure how much I could be expected to care. I'm not, <laughs> not that I didn't enjoy it, by the way, because I did. Actually, I've watched three episodes and I'm definitely going to watch more. Does anything happen? Well, it's all very gentle and beautiful and quiet. I think the drama primarily comes from the ordinary or the mundane. So I suppose it depends if if you're kind of a bit tired of high octane drama, which every single episode has to end with this huge cliffhanger, or if you're just quite happy to be in this world. It's 12 episodes, half hour each episode. And what's that? Six hours. That's six hours. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's quite a pleasant, calm world to be in. So Francis is a slightly awkward, shy person who is Lacking a bit in general charisma, I would say. Very deliberately. This isn't, I'm not talking about the actress, I'm talking no. about the character. And then you have the the friend and ex-girlfriend, Bobby, who is played by Sasha Lane, who is from American Honey. She is phenomenal in every, I love her. She was picked up on a beach, I think, to play 
the part in American Honey. Like that was kind of street casting at its best. American Honey, what's that? So it's a film, a brilliant film directed by Andrea Arnold about this girl who is a bit of a drifter and gets in with a crowd and travels through America. It's lovely and Sasha Lane is brilliant in it. So she's, but she's not Irish either. She's not. She's American. So I believe that the character of Bobby is originally is Irish in the book, but they've changed that to be American to fit Bobby's the casting of Sasha Lane. And I do think that women like Frances aren't usually the subject of TV series like this. Women like Bobby are because because she's, Bobby is so loud and gregarious and outgoing and friendly and chatty and Frances is not. And they are, you know, yin and yang, I suppose. It works really, really well, their friendship. Uh, Joe Alwyn is not Irish either. And no. Nor is the actress who plays his partner. Jemima Kirk. So she's been made English in this, specifically, and isn't in the book. So they have mixed things up a little bit. Do you th- I mean, if I were a member of the Irish acting community, I've got to say, I'd be quite cheesed off. <laughs> is that OK to say? Daisy Edgar-Jones from Normal People was not Irish. But I think the Irish community seemed to accept her. Oh, she was great. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe. I mean, Joe Arwin's accent in this—it's mm. a—it's a—it's hard—it's hard to criticise it, but it's a bit variable. <laughs> but and he is meant to be Irish in the show, is he? He's meant to be Irish in the show. Yeah, he's not. He's not been given a backstory where he's conveniently British. No, <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Sally Rooney herself did approve the casting. I'm sure it doesn't. I suppose it doesn't matter. It would matter to me hugely if I was an up-and-coming Irish thespian and I just felt this was routinely happening when Irish stories are retold with non-Irish performers. I think what's lovely is that Alison Oliver is... This is her first acting role and that does feel like absolutely perfect casting because but she is so good oh she is good in yeah. this again everything about Sally Rooney's writing is about nuance I think and she is just so good at that because it would be really easy not to like these characters it would be really easy yes, because they would. they don't have ba- like I say bags and bags of charm it's not about that it's just about these two slightly lost people finding something in each other and it doesn't really matter that he's 10 years old or 12 years whatever he is um and it doesn't matter that he's on his way to becoming like an international superstar and she's just at university this is so much more personality based and as I said, the, the fact that they're basing it on introverts and not extroverts, it's kind of lovely. OK, so you are, are you a Sally Rooney fan who's been highly satisfied by this TV adaptation? It has been a really long time since I read the book and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the series. OK, well, we've already, this is our second book to TV adaptation of the week on the Radio Times podcast. Sometimes they are abject failures, these things, mm-hmm. but normal people clearly wasn't. Yeah. Now, a show I think you talked about when I was away was another TV adaptation, book to telly, which was Life After Life, which is now on the iPlayer. That's a Kate Atkinson book, and yes. by all accounts, that's brilliant. I mean, the, the novel is absolutely fantastic if you haven't read that yet, and I didn't think it was going to work, and a lot of people thought that this was unfilmable, and it absolutely was filmable. They did a really beautiful job with the adaptation, and that's the thing. I think you're able, with book to TV, you are able to make it your own to some extent, and nothing is going to be as good as your imagination, I always think. Sometimes that's Can not say, true. That does depend on how good your imagination is. Well, yeah, is. that's true. I've got a good imagination, I think. So, you know, for example, the Harry Potters, 
I did not love the adaptations because I was so immersed in the world of the books. Um, there are always going to be those hardcore book lovers that will be furious that anyone's dared to even attempt to change anything. But actually, I think if you've read a book once or twice and you've really enjoyed it and then you see it brought to life in a slightly different way on screen, I think that's what Conversations with Friends does really well. Life After Life did it almost more Right. Faithfully. Well, if you have missed Life After Life, don't let it pass you by. All the episodes are now on the BBC iPlayer. So from Game of Thrones to Good Omens, there are huge fan bases for all of these sorts of book to TV adaptations. So tell us your favourites, podcast at radiotimes.com or tell us your biggest disappointments. That's the one I'm really interested in. Yeah. Maybe we can talk about it next week. Were you that bore who said, oh, well, I've read the book and it's nowhere near it again. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that's often me. Right, um, high time for the fanfare. was a flag slightly this week. You can tell perhaps that the rising temperatures have put paid to <laughs> any real effort on the part of our fanfarest. Right, this is the quiz where I give Rihanna some clues, uh, TV clues, also just current affairs type clues, and she has to name the year. Here's your first clue. It was the year of the first meeting of the new Scottish Parliament after a referendum a couple of years earlier. Now, fact fans will already know that it was the first Scottish Parliament since James I ascended the British throne back in the 1700s. It's an important moment, so naturally, the BBC sent Kirsty Walk. Good morning from the historic heart of Edinburgh on this beautiful summer's day. This morning we're going to witness the symbolic start to a new chapter in Scotland's history, and indeed the history of the United Kingdom. Although the members of Scotland's Parliament have been gathered now for more than two months in their temporary home, the Queen is here today to open formally the new Scottish Parliament, 300 years since the last Parliament sat in Scotland's capital. Today the Scottish Parliament takes over its full range of powers, and the United Kingdom constitution is irreversibly altered. Yes, I have to say Rihanna's looking a little baffled. <laughs> In this year, a one-off award for sports personality of the century was voted for by the good old British public. The recipient, Muhammad Ali. He got more votes from BBC viewers than the combined total of the five other contenders. Who were? None of them women. Uh, really? Pe none of them. Pele, George Best, Donald Bradman, Jack Nicklaus and Jesse Owens. Here's reporter Paul Newman giving us the roundup on that evening's BBC News. A standing ovation for Muhammad Ali tonight from sporting greats past and present for a man whose achievements have transcended boxing. At 57 and suffering from Parkinson's disease, Ali still managed a wave in acknowledgement. There are those who say his finest moment came in 1974 when he upset the odds to knock out George Foreman in the so-called Rumble in the Jungle but he was never reluctant to remind everyone how good he was. And I'll whoop any man in the world, and I want everybody out there on TV to know it. I am the greatest. <laughs> Mohammed Ali, he's always a winner. Here's another clue for you, because you you're not looking completely across this. I've got to be honest. <laughs> sport, I mean, not sports generally, but just this particular sporting event and the Scottish Parliament one haven't really done right. anything for me yet. Well, try this. It's okay. New Year's Eve and London is celebrating. With of its... which year? Of the year you're going to guess. <laughs> it's celebrating in its usual way with fireworks and much 
fanfare. No, no, don't start again. Um, but this was a special year for London because it marked the formal opening of the London Eye. Oh, my God. By the then Prime Minister, Tony Blair. Unfortunately, this is Britain and there were technical problems, which meant the London Eye didn't actually open to the public until the following March. <laughs> Here is Rob Ayling, chairman of British Airways. They sponsored the Eye back then. Welcome, everyone, to London, where many, many great things are happening tonight. But one of them, thanks to the passion and vision of over 2,000 people from Britain and all over Europe, Holland, France, Germany, Italy, the Czech Republic, has changed the skyline of London. The British Airways London Eye is the largest observation wheel in the world, and here to give it its first turn is our Prime Minister, Tony Blair. Very happy New Year. Prime Minister. Okay. So, so we have a <laughs> window. Some banter there between um, Rob Bailing and Tony. Well, we didn't hear Tony Blair's response, but I imagine he also wished him a happy new year. Is that not, that's not doing anything for you? Okay. Well, it's given me a, a window at least. Right. Key films in the year include American Beauty, Girl Interrupted and Eyes Wide Shut. I think you're beginning. Yeah, I got it. You've got it. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Is that your final answer? Because I'm going to also tell you that Loose Women started. <laughs> and that's an important one. I mean, that's that's history. Loose Women started in this year. Oh, yeah, definitely from that. It's 1999. Oh, she's right. Yes! What a New Year's Eve that was for so many of us. Thank goodness I know it from the films and not the news. <laughs> <laughs> well, quite. Um, thank you, Rihanna. That was an excellent contribution. Um, 1999 was indeed Woo! the year. Uh, podcast at radiotimes.com. If you want to take part, you can find us on Twitter, on Facebook and Instagram at Radio Times. If you want a list of the programmes we've talked about today, I've got to say um, it's been some serious topics yeah. this week. Um, but, you know, both those two programmes are well worth watching, actually, particularly Floodlights. If you want a list of the programmes we've talked about uh, and where to find them, go to the episode notes wherever you get this podcast. Do follow to get episodes as soon as they come out. And please tell everyone about this podcast. The Radio Times podcast is the best place to go for all the best information about up-and-coming, brilliant and not-so-brilliant telly. But we do give you good tips. I don't think we've ever let you down, actually. I think we're also honest about what we think. Sometimes I hear other people who just sort of big everything up. We can't do that, Not can us. you? No. Don't forget about the BFI and Radio Times TV Festival. It starts on May the 20th. And if you want to know more or grab some tickets, head to bfi.org.uk forward slash TV Fest. If you want to make sure you get a copy of the Radio Times magazine, Joe Wick's on the cover this week, buy subscriptions.com forward slash Radio Times is the place to go. And if you still want more, don't forget Smart TV. That's the weekly bite-sized podcast which brings you the best of what to watch in just 10 minutes ish hosted by radio times tv guru david butcher the radio times podcast is produced by something else and it's for immediate media have a good week thanks bye 